the book of Acts chapter 20. I want to minister uh, for a few minutes from this passage of Scripture. The Church of Jesus Christ has always been under attack. And Jesus, when he talked to the disciples in uh, Caesarea Philippi, Matthew 16, said in those words that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. In those words of imagery, he conveyed to us an understanding that the church was going to survive and it was going to exist through conflict, or he would not have used those words. In other words, hell was going to be aimed against it and it would not survive uh, without uh, the work of God at work. And so it's always been under attack. It always, in every generation, uh, is assaulted by hell. And in this passage that we're going to read this morning, uh, the Apostle Paul meets with the Ephesian pastors uh, and gathers them together. As he gathers them together, he warns them and says to them that the believers, the uh, body of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ in Ephesus is under attack and hell has aimed to destroy the church. He says to them, you're going to have to act if you're going to save not only yourselves, he says, you have a personal stake in this, but also the uh, uh, believers because there's a personal uh, dimension that's involved and there's a personal stake in, and dimension that is there. And so he lays out for them a pattern. He lays in place some uh, statements, he lays in place some dynamics, makes them clear, and leaves for them a pattern and uh, says to them, uh, you're going to have to act if you're going to save your church. As he does that, he leaves for you and I some dynamics, because some of these dynamics are at our church, uh, at work at our church in the present moment. And I want to preach to you this morning on saving your church. The book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 28, if you'll follow there with me. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased uh, with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things uh, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, uh, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance uh, among all those uh, who are sanctified. Saving your church. So I want to examine with you for a moment the uh, pull of relationships. Paul uh, makes some very interesting statements there that brings this to our attention and the forefront. And there's a notable fact this morning that uh, much of life hinges on relationships. I don't know if you know... Uh, that and you understand that. These uh, video series uh, have been very interesting in, uh, in what our uh, uh, brother is speaking in that. But in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 9 through 12 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up uh, his companion. But woe to him who is alone 
when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And again, if two uh, uh, lie down together, they will keep warm. We need to hunker together this morning, I can tell you that. <laughs> but good news, they're working on it. Amen. So be confident. Engineers have flown out to look at our problem here, and I have every confidence that soon, within the next year, they'll have this repaired. <laughs> Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So in these words, uh, the, uh, the uh, imagery is drawn that you and I are creatures of relationship. And as we are creatures of relationship, much of our lives are referenced upon other people and our conduct is determined by that because human nature references all of life by relationship. Pastor Lamb preached so ably last Sunday night about a follow-up ministry and he brought out that new converts, one of the things that they're totally dependent upon when they first get saved is the relationships must be established with them. And uh, those who examine the uh, statistics uh, let us understand that uh, very few converts ever survive unless they already have a relationship within the church uh, or you're quickly able to establish one uh, with them. And he has uh, organized this and, and has an excellent uh, 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 objective of that. New converts... Uh, in the church, whether they uh, survive or not, largely depend upon relationships. When we talk about discipleship, we are disciple-making congregation and fellowship. And discipleship depends upon relationships. Its strength uh, lies in relationships. Uh, and we understand that one of the first decisions uh, that you're forced to make uh, when you're a new convert uh, is to cut loose relationships. I was reading in Peter this morning, First uh, Peter 4, uh, I believe it's uh, 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 chapter 4, verse 3 uh, and 4. And he talks about... Uh, their conduct and says uh, that uh, these are who riot, these who are uh, in river in drunkenness, uh, and they marvel that you who are saved do not go with them to uh, these revelries. Uh, and he draws out and makes uh, makes uh, uh, underlines uh, uh, this uh, tremendous statement that you and I are creatures of relationship, and there is a pool of relationships. Now these have a downside that Paul talks about. And in the text that we have, he puts two classes of people that are on the downside, and they're a danger here. And one of these is from outside. These will be people who will come in. They will actually be outsiders, but they'll establish a relationship, and that relationship is used for their own agenda as they gain acceptance and form relationship. And then he says the second group are from within, uh, that they have credibility uh, because of uh, uh, coming from men. And both of these groups uh, have a dissident spirit, uh, and their aim is to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And the reason he uh, says this, he says, from among yourselves uh, and also among you. Now, influences uh, uh, can be very destructive. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, uh, the apostle Paul writes, and he says, do not be deceived, Evil companions uh, corrupts good habits. Uh, one translation says, Do not be deceived and misled. 
Evil companionships or communion or associations corrupt and deprave good manners and morals and character. So here he draws out this, uh, the pull of relationships. You and I are creatures of relationship. We are social creatures. And uh, that is good and that is bad. All of this has an upside. All of this has a downside. And the Apostle Paul, as he writes about saving your church, uh, he warns these people and says to them, this is not something that's going to come. This is not rocket science. Something's going to come in from outer space and explode. Uh, he says, this is going to happen among you and from among yourselves. Uh, and this is why he meets with them over this issue. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says... Uh, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools uh, shall be destroyed. And uh, as he begins to speak that, uh, he lets us understand uh, that there are individuals, uh, and he puts an individual uh, 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 statement on there, and he, uh, the first uh, verse he speaks, he says, yourselves, uh, you need to pay attention to yourself. This has a larger uh, connotation and this has to do with a congregation uh, and he says there's a danger of relationship and you need to watch what you're doing now this goes into the deepest ties uh, that we have in Matthew chapter 10 verses 34 36 Lord Jesus Christ spoke these words and uh, many people uh, uh, misunderstand or they don't rightly apply or they don't comprehend what he's saying listen to Jesus words do not think that I'm come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring uh, peace, uh, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies uh, will be those uh, of his own household. Jesus is speaking, and as he speaks, uh, he begins to draw out the dynamics that happen in uh, relationships uh, as believers uh, seek to follow the will of God. What a tremendous video this morning as he brings out. The issue isn't whether you're religious. The issue isn't whether God's answered prayer for you. The issue is, are you doing the will of God? And the Lord Jesus Christ speaks very plainly and says uh, that if you're going to do the will of God, uh, this often is going to bring you into conflict uh, with some of the closest relationships uh, that you have. Uh, and he says about yourselves and the flock, uh, this has ramification. In Christianity, uh, the kingdom of God uh, has priority, and as you give a priority to the kingdom of God, it makes a demand immediately, and it demands that we judge our relationships uh, as to their righteousness and as to the agenda that those relationships uh, are demanding uh, as we play this out in life and it strikes at the closest ties uh, that we have uh, in life. The Apostle Paul here emphasizes, and he says to, to, to these people, that relationships, your relationships are going to affect your destiny. As you associate and you have relationships, there are going to be emotions. And those emotions are going to have to be sacrificed sometimes uh, for the kingdom of God uh, because we are social creatures. Uh, and as we're social creatures, uh, we have filial or family relationships. Uh, not only that, uh, but we have uh, phileo or uh, uh, brotherly or fellow believer relationships. Uh, and he spells this out very clearly and says sometimes uh, these friendship bonds and family bonds uh, are going to be sacrificed if you're going to follow and do the will of God. 
So this is the first lesson that new converts have to learn. When they become saved, they become believers, uh, uh, suddenly uh, their relationships that they have uh, uh, no longer can stand on the same ground. They're going to, uh, there's going to be a demand made, and that demand, made, uh, demand that is made is they're going to follow the will of God, kingdom priority, or keep these relationships to their detriment. Second Corinthians 6.17, uh, the apostle says, Moreover, uh, uh, or, uh, therefore, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, and I will receive you. So we suddenly see that there's a demand that is made, and that demand that is made in a new convert uh, is uh, that they're going to make a choice, and that choice is going to be, am I going to keep the relationships uh, that are uh, beneficial to me, or am I going to sacrifice these relationships uh, because uh, this pulls me from uh, kingdom uh, ministry. 1 Corinthians 5.11, the Apostle Paul says this, Now I write to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of Christian brother. If he's known to be guilty of immorality or greed, or is an idolater, that is, whose soul is devoted to any object that usurps the place of God, or is a person with a foul tongue, railing, abusing, reviling, slandering, or is a drunkard, or a swindler, or a robber, no, you must not so much as eat with such a person. Now, think about that for a moment, because the issue has to do uh, with relationships, and the pull of relationships, and the apostle writes here, and as he writes, he says, the relationships that you have influences the way you think. It influences the choices that you're going to make about your conduct. And so as he writes to these, or he speaks rather to these, and as he writes later to the church of Jesus Christ, he lays out the pull of relationships, and he lays out a practical agenda, and he says these words, that in the midst of the congregation, there's going to be some of your closest associations that are going to be detrimental to you. The flock is going to be assaulted. It's going to be assaulted by words and by associations, and he spells that out, and he leaves us with no misunderstanding about what he's talking about. These dynamics are always at work in every congregation throughout all of time. You can read the book of Revelation, the seven churches. They were at work there. They've been at work in church history. They've been at work in our church since we, the inception of our church, and they've been at work in our fellowship since the beginning of our fellowship, the pull of relationships can either be life or death. The second thing I want to show to you in this is the call to separation. Now, here's the difficulty, and this is where the will of God begins to be on the table. See, our generation has options. And so when Paul wrote many of the passages that he had, there was only one church, there wasn't a church of the first church of the frigid air, the second church of the uh, we compromise, uh, the third church of uh, we want to believe God a little bit. There wasn't any of that. It was just the first church. It was the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so the problem is in our generation, we have options. You put a fornicator out, and next week he's the singles Bible study leader across town. You might as well say Amen. You uh, put a rebel dissident out, and the next thing you know, uh, they're the secretary on the church staff of another church in town. 
And so there's options that we have today, and uh, you discipline a pastor today, and he starts a new church, it's either a new destiny or a new beginning. So what we have is we have uh, uh, confronting us uh, a decision, and of course all of these people uh, will tell tales of being abused, and uh, they're uh, they're victims of abuse, and the next thing you know, why uh, uh, Charisma Magazine's calling, they want an interview with these uh, people who have been abused, and so the options uh, are always there, and uh, 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 there's an interesting statement, I think it was Joe Camel. Uh, that made a statement. I'm not sure if he preached this in conference when I wasn't listening or not, but he made an interesting statement. He said, you'll never know a person's character until you say no. I said, yes, that's a very interesting revelation. And our brother in the video is saying a great deal of that. And so the call to separation is very clear-cut. Listen to the words uh, that the apostle writes. He says, the flock uh, is in danger and I want you to know that the flock always is in danger. And in Acts 20, 28, follow there with me for a moment, as he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves, uh, yourselves. Remember, there, there's a personal stake in this. You know, many times when people uh, attend a church, they say, Well, uh, that church, uh, uh, well, this church. No, the church is you. And when the Apostle Paul gives it, he says, Yourselves. This is the first thing he says. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, there's a tremendous picture that is drawn out here that I want to uh, uh, follow with you. And uh, the, uh, the picture there is of, uh, uh, of a uh, conflict. And uh, he says these words, not sparing the flock. What, uh, what tremendous words uh, are spoken by the Apostle Paul. And then he says uh, the second thing, to draw away disciples uh, after themselves. So there's a a notice that we need to give to ourselves here. Number one is that there is no moral or spiritual consideration uh, for the eternal welfare of these people. Self-interest rules, uh, and as self-interest rules, uh, Paul puts down an image uh, and he says these words. These people draw themselves, uh, people to themselves. They don't really have the best interest uh, of the flock or the church of Jesus Christ or the kingdom at heart. Self-interest and self-agenda and self-gratification is what they have uh, at heart. You know, deception this morning is more than just a tale or a story. There's a spirit uh, behind deception. When Peter comes to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. Peter stands and said, not so, Lord. You're not going to do that. Follow this now. That's not what you're going to do. Jesus turns to Peter, his hand-picked disciple, his own chosen disciple, and says to him these words, get behind me, Satan. You don't savor the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. What had happened was a spirit now is involved, and that spirit now... Uh, has uh, laid hold of Peter and he's speaking words uh, that are opposed uh, to the will of God uh, because there's a spirit behind uh, a tale or story. There's far more behind a dissident than simply someone's abused them or they've been disappointed. Follow with me the image uh, that is drawn here. He says that there will be those from outside that uh, he terms as grievous wolves. Uh, They will enter in among you. 
And as he draws that imagery, he lets us understand that there is a predator spirit that lays hold of human beings in their associations and in their relationships. And that predator spirit is the same spirit that a wolf will have. You know what a wolf does, or any predator for that matter, is that they watch the flock or the herd or whoever it is that they're going to be. And what they look for are several things. Number one, they look for one that will stray, that uh, that uh, gets uh, away from uh, from the uh, the herd or the, from the uh, pack. And as they get away, they are made vulnerable because they're wandering astray. And remember the old statement uh, that it's the banana that leaves the bunch that gets skinned. This is what a predator does. A predator watches. And when there is a wandering one, that is prime game. The second thing they look for is if there was one sickly uh, among the flock uh, that can't move uh, as, as rapidly, that that uh, makes them vulnerable. Uh, or if there's one that's old that uh, does not have the faculties uh, uh, functioning uh, uh, with, the, with the flock, uh, or if there's one young or vulnerable, uh, then this is what they fasten on to. And as they fasten on to, they're looking for... And he says uh, that predators uh, are watching for that. I want you to know that the church of Jesus Christ always has predators constantly at work, uh, sometimes more and sometimes less, uh, but they're always looking uh, for those. I was thinking about this. I, I was up in uh, New Mexico with Tom uh, Payne last year, and we were uh, hunting prairie dogs. Prairie dogs are vermin. And so as we were hunting prairie dogs... Uh, we came into this field way out from Gallup, probably 25 miles, uh, and we came upon a herd of sheep. And this was so interesting to watch uh, because the, uh, these, uh, this herd of sheep uh, uh, was watched over uh, by two dogs. No human being was there. Whoever owned these sheep put them in the care of these two dogs. And as we were there, we were driving around the various territory, the sheep were moving, and uh, the dogs were watching them very carefully, and when they'd start to go the wrong way, the dogs would come, and they would herd them in, uh, and sometimes led the flock to where they wanted them to go. And we watched this over the space of probably three hours uh, as the dogs uh, watched over. But something happens sometimes to a dog. And what happens to it is it becomes what is known as a sheep-killing dog. Once a dog has killed a sheep, there's a taste of blood that they get. They have access to the flock. The flock is made totally vulnerable, and the dog kills simply for the joy of killing. It does not kill simply to eat. Here, the Apostle Paul draws out the vulnerability of the flock. And he says there's two things. One is a predator that will come from outside. One is those that arise from inside. And as they do this, the flock is vulnerable to them. And their aim and their objective is to single out. And this is the agenda they have. Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapters 16, 17, and 18, these words. But now I urge you, brethren... Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned. And avoid them, for those, uh, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but their own belly. 
and by smooth words and flattering words uh, deceive uh, the hearts uh, of uh, the simple. So here the Apostle Paul says there's a clear-cut call for separation. You will not avoid this, and this is the power, and this is the demand of the flock of Jesus Christ and those who shepherd them. There must be a separation if you're going to survive. Remember, I'm talking about you saving your church and yourselves. I'm not talking about some agenda. I'm not talking about a religious denomination. I'm not talking about a religious organization. I'm talking about you and uh, your church. There's an abundance of texts. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verses uh, uh, 10 and 11. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to you, to me, concerning you, my brethren, by those of uh, Chloe's household, that their contentions, and the King James says, divisions uh, among you. Now there's a vivid imagery that is drawn out here by the Apostle Paul. That imagery has to do with the welfare of the church of Jesus Christ. And he says in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, these words, We command you, brethren. You know, you can't command anybody anymore, because if you command them, they just go over to the first church of rebellion. But you see, these are words that Paul is speaking for their welfare. He says, we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which you receive from us. Verse 14, he says, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person uh, and do not keep company with him uh, that he may be ashamed. Now let's think for a moment what he's saying here. What he's saying is that here are people, and these people are inspired uh, from some reason or agenda or the other to be disorderly. In other words, they do not want to go along with headship. They do not want to follow the agenda of the body of believers. They do not want to do, they have their own agenda, as Brother Bevere said, you're fine with them, that you have no problem with them as long as you say what they want to hear or do. But he says in, in this text uh, that these people are satanically motivated to be disorderly. Now let's think this through for a moment because in verse 15 he says don't count them as an enemy, uh, which is true uh, in their first uh, inception. But let's follow this through to its logical conclusion. It's obvious uh, that if you continue to associate uh, with those who are disorderly and in defiance of headship, uh, that uh, there comes a point uh, when this is rebellion. I've had people say to me, what is rebellion? Rebellion's when you don't want to do God's will but your own will. That's what rebellion is. And so the apostle says here that if you continue to associate with these people, you pick up the same spirit uh, that they have, uh, and finally you have to judge this uh, as a rebellion, uh, and it is a spirit that is picked up. Observe your children. How many of you have, have children that you've ever raised or you ever uh, uh, have? Uh, let me see your hands. This is not a trick question. Go ahead and put it up. Okay. Has there been any time when you were raising your children as teenagers when suddenly they picked up a funky spirit? Put your hands up again. Yes. What's the first question that you ask them? 
We know what the first question we ask our kid, who you been running around with? And sometimes you find out that they're the deacon's kids or the, uh, uh, the, the church council's kids, uh, but that doesn't really make any difference to me. I always said to my kids, uh, you're not running around with them anymore. I don't want to see you talking to them or associating with them uh, because you've got a funky spirit. Oh, well, blah, blah. I don't care what you think. You're not running around with them again. What's happened? Well, you see, we become like those that we associate with. You cannot avoid it. It is a spiritual dynamic. Uh, and uh, if, when your kid picks up a mocking attitude, uh, it's because of who they're associating with. You know, there, something didn't just happen. Uh, uh, suddenly there's uh, something floor around. Boom! It lands on their head. Yeah! That's not it. <laughs> they're running around with people who are mocking. They've, uh, the common statement is today, I don't like your attitude. You've got an attitude. Well, where did they get that attitude at? It's because of who they associate with. They get a smart mouth. They start shooting their mouth off. The thing that you do with a smart mouth is you mash it. And so, and so uh, what is happening is a transference of spirit. This transference of spirit is automatic. Uh, and this is why the Apostle Paul meets with the church uh, and says to them, I want to say to you, there's some dynamics that are transpiring. The church is in danger, and you better rise up and recognize what's happening. There's a transference of spirit, uh, and uh, you must separate yourselves uh, from uh, those uh, who have that kind of spirit. I want to talk about one more thing, and this is perhaps the most important of all, and this is the tools of rebellion. You need to realize uh, what this is because James writes in the New Testament and as he writes, he gives us tremendous insight about words. He says in James chapter 3, 5, and 6, Even as the tongue is a little member and boasts great things, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. James says it is words that determine the course of our life. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 17, uh, he talks about words that eat as a cancer, or in other words, words have the ability to be malignant. They take on a life of themselves. They are, I mean, words aren't just neutral. Words are never neutral. Words have the ability to take on a life of their own, just like a cancer. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.17, words eat as a cancer. Words are spirits. They have a spiritual dimension. And when we speak words, we are propagating a spiritual dimension. Gordon Porter gave me a poem that he wrote that fit this. It says, words are the tools of heart and mind. They can be evil or they can be kind. Once they cross the tongue with breath, they can bring life or they can bring death. That's an excellent little poem. I didn't know that Gordon was a poet, but he is. I said, thank you for that poem, Gordon. I can use that. And I did. <laughs> you must reckon with this issue. You can't avoid this because the tools of rebellion, the tools of deception, the tools of seduction, the tools of doubt, 
the tools of fear, the tools of unbelief. All of these are tooled by, fueled by hell, and they have a spiritual dimension, and they are never neutral. Words of dissension this morning are deadly. It is impossible this morning to associate with a person who is in dissension without listening to words. Listen to verse 30. Paul says, Also, from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. See, words are the tools of division. Words are the tools of seduction. Words are the tools of deceit. Words are the tools of unbelief. Words can be tools of healing. They can be tools of deliverance. They can be tools of salvation. But this is why the Apostle Paul warns them and says, individuals would rise up speaking perverse thing to draw away disciples after themselves. The Bible warns of the danger of this. Ephesians 5 and verse 11 and 12 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. See, this, this requires discernment this morning. And, uh, you know, uh, many people don't understand uh, the power of words. Words uh, have tremendous power. Uh, uh, let's say this morning that uh, you say, well, my heart, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I have no guile in my, uh, in my being. I don't think it, it bothers me to associate with people who are in disagreement or dissenting. Well, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's put it this way. The church is in a conflict. It's in, uh, always in warfare. We are soldiers of Jesus Christ. And let's say that you develop that attitude and uh, you uh, take your picnic basket. You say, oh, what I want to do is I just want to have a picnic with everybody. Be friends with everybody. That's, a, that's what I want to do. So you step into Afghanistan with your picnic basket and uh, there's a Al-Qaeda there and uh, they've got bullets and you've got a picnic. How long do you think you're going to survive? You're not going to survive at all. Because their agenda is a different agenda than your agenda. Their agenda is to kill every American that they can lay their eyes on. And it doesn't make any difference whether you have goodwill, you just want to have a picnic or not. That's not their agenda. They're firing bullets and you're eating sandwiches. This is the issue. And we have to be honest about this and reckon with the issue because it requires discernment to, to understand this. I know these people say, oh, we're still saved. We're still doing the same thing that you're doing. Well, if you were, why aren't you with us then? The reason that you're not with us is you're not doing the same thing that we're doing. John 2, 1 John 2, 19 and 20 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. What the apostle is saying, they've taken on a different spirit. Just like Peter took on a different spirit when his own will disagreed with the will of Jesus Christ, and he began to spout out, not so, Lord, then that moment Peter took on a different spirit and this is why the Apostle John says he went out from us because they were not of us. Amos draws a picture as I move to a conclusion. He says these words, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Well, it's obvious this morning as we're here 
that when our spirit is not in agreement, that we cannot continue to associate with people whose spirit is not in agreement with us. If we do continue to associate, we will become as they are. 1 Timothy 6, 5 and 6 says he's proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth who suppose that gain, that godliness is a means of gain from which withdraw yourself. Now there's a potent declaration that the apostle makes, and he makes this about words. I want you to see this. Men are perverse, speaking perverse things, words are the tools of deception. Words are the tools of suspicion. Words are the tools of rebellion. Words are the tools of deception. And as the apostle is there, he makes a potent declaration in Second John 10, verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine... Do not receive him into your house, uh, nor greet him, uh, for he who greets him shares uh, in his evil deeds. In the book of Acts, uh, chapter 19 and verse 9, the apostle Paul is involved in ministry. There comes a place uh, where, uh, as he's ministering, uh, it is necessary that he polarize his followers. He says to them, uh, uh, we're, not, uh, we're not going to be in that place anymore. We're not going to be associating with these people. In Acts 19.9, uh, the Bible says, But when some were, uh, were hardened and did not believe but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, Paul separated uh, the disciples uh, from them. Now, in the New Testament, uh, uh, the believers were very serious about saving their church. Uh, this is why all these words, and this is only a portion of the words uh, that speak to the issue, were written for us uh, because uh, they were serious uh, about uh, saving their church. Another statement made says, In this uh, I say, lest any man should beguile you with uh, enticing uh, words. I was talking to uh, one of the brethren, and this in another nation, and there's a, uh, some dissidents have, uh, uh, have separated from them there. And uh, as they were there, uh, they were on an outreach, and as they were there, some of these dissidents came up to them and said, uh, oh, he Hello, brother, we're, we're just doing the same thing that, we're, uh, that you're doing, and uh, wanted to shake hands with them. Well, they heard my tape of a while back, which is famous, it went around the world, and about shaking hands. And they said, no, we're not shaking hands with you. I said, well, we're doing the same thing you are. I said, no, uh, you're not. You're not doing the same thing that we're doing. And we're not shaking hands with you uh, because uh, shaking hands means that we're agreeing with what you're doing and we don't agree with what you're doing. You're a rebel. Some years ago... A uh, very interesting event. I was pondering all this in my mind and, and the, uh, the, the seriousness of this. And uh, I remember uh, that I had just come back from Australia, I think the, probably the second time. And there was a man who had uh, some years before risen up and caused some damage in our church. He left with a, uh, another and, and their aim was to destroy our church. And so I walk into a restaurant and as I walk into this restaurant, this man was in the booth. This first time I'd seen him in several years. And as he was there... Uh, he was very, very adamant that he wanted to shake my hand. And, well, I'm, I'll shake your hand if, if you want to shake mine. And I was pondering this, and I said, why does this man want to shake my hand? He doesn't agree with what I'm doing. 
He didn't even like me. He has actively engaged himself in the detriment of our church, our fellowship, and our believers. He even wrote me a nasty letter. And why is it that he wants to shake my hand? Because they long for affirmation. They want affirmation of their activities and of their person. And the reason they want to shake your hand is because they want the affirmation that they're okay in their rebellion. You see, the pull of dissidents is not simply uh, saying... Well, we don't, uh, we don't want to be there anymore. We want to be somewhere else. That's not what dissidents do. Dissidents use relationships. They don't just simply go on to a new agenda. They don't go on and say, God bless you, we're going on uh, doing our thing. They're never happy to do that. Uh, they always want to come and they want to destroy because there's something about our human nature that we must justify ourselves. Having to justify ourselves means that... Uh, we have to have as many as we can join with us uh, because this gives validity to our own actions uh, because uh, as we have validity for our own actions, uh, then we feel justified uh, in our activity. Uh, and this is why dissidents constantly will exploit the relationships they have uh, and rather than go on, serve God, be happy, do whatever you're going to do. God bless you. Whatever you want to be, if you want to play marbles, go play marbles. If you want, whatever you want to do, go do what you want to No, 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 no. No, dissidents have to exploit relationships and emotions uh, and reach in uh, to gain others uh, to their cause uh, so that they will feel justified in the actions that are taking, they're taking. And this is why the Apostle Paul warns the church of Ephesus, gathers them together, and says to them, I want to tell you, these are the dynamics, and if you want to save your church, you're going to have to use these dynamics, be aware of them, and pursue certain actions. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. No one's moving around for a moment, and Christians are praying. In this place this morning, there are people who have never met Christ as your Savior. You felt the wonderful touch of the Holy Spirit in the Sunday school, perhaps in the video, perhaps in the song service, perhaps in the testimonies, perhaps in the song service, God touched your heart. I want to tell you, God has a wonderful plan for your life. That plan is eternal life. That plan is forgiveness of sins. That plan is joy, unspeakable and full of glory. That plan is blessing, both for time and eternity. And there are people here this morning, there are backsliders that are here this morning. There are unsaved men and women that are here this morning. I want to say to you, God loves you, cares for you, has a wonderful plan for your life if you will respond to His love. I know the Holy Spirit's convicting you. And I wonder this morning, before I change this service, how many there would be, say, Pastor... I'm backslidden. My heart's not right with God. I've never been born again. I don't fully understand all you're saying, but I want your prayer this morning. Would you slip your hand up right there where you are? Say, I want to get my heart right with God. Slip it up and hold it where I can see it, left to right, from front to back. Say, I want to get my heart right with God. God bless you. Would there be others? Just slip your hand up right now. Say, I want to get my heart right with God, Pastor. Left to right, from front to back. God loves you. He cares. 
and he will move in your behalf. If you'll be honest with God, humble yourself before the Lord. Slip your hand up and say, Pastor, my heart's not right. I'm backslidden or I've never been born again. I want to get right with God quickly before I change this to other things. All right, we're changing the, uh, uh, the appeal this morning. And I know there are people who are sitting here, you've been damaged deeply by words that have been spoken. Remember, words are never neutral. Say, well, I just uh, have uh, only the best intentions. Well, uh, if you have a picnic with Al-Qaeda, you may have only the best intention, but you wind up dead. You're using sandwiches. They're using bullets. And there are people here this morning, you've been deeply wounded. You recognize this morning. And I want to say to you, you will not survive. You cannot survive this disease. This disease is deadly. The Apostle Paul says, this disease is malignant. These words that are spoken in your hearing had an agenda. They had a purpose. They were not just to simply give a tale or give a story. There's a spirit behind those words, and they're having deadly effect upon your emotions, upon your loyalties, upon your very sanity. And God's dealing with you this morning. There's only one way to deal with it. And I say, God, I'm not going to any longer allow that in my presence. I'm going to separate. I'm going to no longer allow myself to be in the presence of those that are speaking words that want to destroy my church. Remember, it's not just your church. Paul says yourselves. We're going to stand in the presence of the Lord. These altars are open. I know God's tugging many hearts. I want you to come and find a place to pray. As we sing, my whole being praises you, Lord. The altars are open. Come and find a place to pray. My whole being. My whole being. Called the Syrian Shepherd's Song. I haven't read it for many, many years. But it gives some very insightful understanding about sheep and shepherds. And uh, in that, it says that at a time of peril, the shepherd gives a certain sound and the sheep... uh, will bunch together, every one of them come and bunch together in one place uh, in a solidarity uh, for their own safety. I thought that was a very apt picture of what ought to happen when the church of Jesus Christ uh, is assaulted. uh, The sheep need to come together. Can you say amen?